Amen. What a great psalm. You will hold me fast. In your Bibles, Luke chapter 8 is where we will be for our text this morning. Luke chapter 8, we'll be looking at verses 4 through verse 21. Being a couple other places as well, but we'll start here in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 21. If I were to ask who the greatest inventor of all time is, we'd probably get a few different answers. Alexander Graham Bell, or even a guy like Steve Jobs, or something like that. But I bet one name would continue coming up. He's a man that uh, made several many inventions in Menlo Park, New Jersey. But he actually was born not too far from here, in Milan, Ohio. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, perhaps the greatest inventor of all times, most notably remembered for inventing the incandescent light bulb. But he also invented the phonograph, the automatic telegraph, the alkaline storage battery, a movie camera. Altogether, he had over 1,000 proprietary inventions. Just a genius of a man. But if you remember, he famously said that genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. What do you mean by that? Inventing, if you're really doing anything, is hard work. It takes a lot of hard work. In fact, maybe the most important part of any invention would be the actual doing of the work. Not just the idea behind it, but actually taking that idea and putting it into an invention. Think about it with me. Would Thomas Edison have revolutionized the world with the light bulb if he only knew all about how to make a light bulb? What if he read all the books that there were to read about light bulbs? At that time, probably not very many books. What if he talked to the right people? He, he bought all the right products. He learned about all the material. But he never actually did anything with the information that he gathered. He would have probably been a nobody that just got forgotten over time, right? But he isn't forgotten. Why? Because he actually did the work. He, did, he gathered all that information, he read all the books, he did all that he could, but, but he actually did the work. He tested thousands of different options for the light bulb until he found just the right option, just what worked. Thomas Edison did not just know all there was to know about how to make a light bulb, he actually made the light bulb. In Luke chapter 8, we discover that our relationship with Christ hinges on this. It hinges on hearing and doing the Word of God by daily, daily applying it to our lives. We're going to read together verses 4 through 15 to start here this morning. Luke 8, starting in verse 4. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spoke by a parable. This is Jesus now. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? 
And he said unto you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. There's another whole message in just those couple of verses. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation they fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. I'm sure you're familiar with the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soils. And what it does for us is it communicates to us the power of the word, the seed, and also its reception in the hearts of the hearers, the soils. And you have here described for us four different soils. Some seed, it says, was thrown on the wayside or the, the trodden path. And that's a picture of the hardened heart where the devil comes and he snatches that seed away, he snatches, as it were, the word of God away from that heart before it has time to actually get into the heart. Some seed, it says, fell among the rock, picturing the heart that receives the word but doesn't allow the word to root itself deeply within. And then when troubles come, they fall away. The third soil... It says some seed falls among the weeds and the thorns, and that pictures the heart that tries to do two things that you can't do at the same time. It tries to keep the cares of this world and also maintain the word. But what always happens? The world chokes out the word, and it says that that seed withers and dies. But some seed fell on good ground, a picture of the heart that receives the word roots it deeply within, weeds the garden as necessary, and then it says produces abundant fruit. Now, did you notice there are four ty different types of soil? Four different types of soil, all illustrating different types of people. But honestly, the, the, the result is different, but what is the real difference? What is the difference between these four soils? Would you look again, verse 12? It says, those by the wayside are they that hear. Verse 13, they on the rock are they which when they hear. Verse 14, that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word. Say, well, they're not any different. They've all heard the word. And that's right. They have all heard the word. But there is a big difference between verse 15 and the rest. All of the other ones, verse 12, 13, and 14, they hear the word. It is only verse 15 that it says hears and keeps it. That's the difference. To keep the word means that we, we hold fast to it through its application and our obedience of it. We just sang that song that says, He will hold me fast. As Christ holds us fast in His hand, in the same kind of way, we are to hold fast to the Word and to keep it through applying it and obeying it in our lives. And here Jesus introduces to us this concept of not just hearing the Word, but actively holding on to it, of clinging to it, of applying it, doing it, obeying it, keeping it. 
And this will become, as we'll see this morning, and you read through the New Testament, this becomes a very important New Testament theme. Keeps coming up in Jesus' teaching. You'll see it in Paul's epistles. You'll see it in some of the other apostles in their writings. This idea of hearing the word and doing the word, keeping the word, obeying the word. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. In 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Did you notice it says that we are not just to know the commandments? If you love me, know what my commandments are. It doesn't say that. If you love me, recite the commandments regularly. If you love me, he says, keep them. There is a huge difference between knowing and hearing something and actually applying it and doing it in our lives. Let's continue in Luke chapter 8. Look at verses 16, 17, and 18. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covers it with a vessel, or putteth it under a bed, but sets it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Watch this phrase, first phrase in verse 18. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seems to have. Now we get to the end of verse 18. If your Bible's like mine, the red letters end, right? So it seems like Jesus' teaching on this topic, it's over. He's wrapped it up. He's moving on to a new topic. But don't miss out on verses 19, 20, and 21. Because Jesus uses this example, this, this exchange that happens between he and the people around him to teach a very poignant lesson about hearing and doing the word. Watch here, 19, 20, and 21. <clears throat> then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press, meaning the crowd. And it was told him by certain which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, watch this, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. Following right on the heels of his parable of the sower, in which the good soil is noted for doing what? Hearing and keeping, or hearing and doing, obeying the word. And here he says, my mother and my brethren are these, these people around me. He's, he's commending his disciples, anyone who believes in him. He said, these are the ones who are truly my mother and my brethren, those who hear the word of God and those who keep the word of God or do the word of God. Now, Jesus here is not belittling his mother. He's not belittling his brothers. What he's teaching here is that everyone that hears the word of God that actually hearing the word of God and doing it brings you into a closer relationship with Christ than, as it, than if you had been in his bloodline. You see that? He's saying your relationship to me is closer by hearing and doing my word than even if you have been in my family. He's saying basically, yes, those are my brothers, the ones out there that are trying to get in. Those are my brothers. We share common DNA. But... 
you who hear the word and do the words that I teach you, you're my real brothers. You are the ones that are truly related to me because you do what I command you to do. Jesus' true family is not based on bloodline, but on belief evidenced by hearing and doing his word. That's a repeated theme in the New Testament. John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, picks up on this a little bit when it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's telling us lineage does not save you. Belief by the will of God is what saves us. The old commentator Matthew Henry, he said this, Christ is pleased to own those as his nearest and dearest relations that hear the word of God and do it. They are more to him than his mother and brethren. That should give us hope. Because I'm not the mother of Jesus. I'm not a brother of Jesus. But I can be even more closely related to him than them by hearing and doing the words that he teaches. In Luke 1.47, in Mary's, what we call Mary's Magnificat, this song of praise that she gives after she hears the, about how she's going to be the mother of the Messiah that is to come, she shows us that, that salvation is not through lineage, not through bloodline, because she says this, even as the mother of Christ, she says, my spirit, Luke 1.47, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She needed a Savior just like anybody else. Now, regarding Mary, if you would flip a couple chapters ahead to Luke chapter 11. I want you to see this. It's such a great parallel. Luke chapter 11 Verses 27 and 28, there's a similar exchange here that happens to what we just saw in Luke 8 with Jesus and his mother and his brethren. Something very similar happens just a couple chapters later, Luke 11, verses 27 to 28. Verse 27, And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, or even more so, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Similar phrase, right? Now, verse 27 can be a little culturally awkward for us in the 21st century, just the way it's worded. It would probably be helpful if we were, we'd be better served just kind of smooth it out probably by saying this, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. Now this lady who shouts out from the crowd, she's using a figure of speech called a metonymy. It's where the individual parts of something are said, but the whole is referred to. You say, well, I've never heard that before. Well, yes, we have. We, we do this all the time. You're watching the news and they say a statement like, the White House made a statement concerning, well, as I checked, the White House couldn't talk. But the part of the White House is one part of the whole of the presidential administration. So when we say the White House said something, what they're referring to is the presidential administration made a statement. You've heard that before? Are you with me on that? 
That's, the, that's where a part is being referred to, but the whole is what is, me, what, is, uh, what is meant. And she does the same thing here. So in essence, what the lady in verse 27 is saying, she says to Jesus, just shouting out from the crowd, blessed is your mother to have a son like you. Was Mary blessed? Absolutely. Can you imagine mothers having a son like, like Christ? The way some of our kids act, it would be a blessing. Mary is called, if you remember back to Luke 1, she's called the highly favored one. Remember when the angel Gabriel comes and tells her? So Mary was, was blessed of God to have a son like Jesus. But notice Jesus responds, verse 28. And he says, yea, rather, or really, yea, even more so. Even more than that. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now, he's not, he's not running down his mother in this way. He's not running, him down, running her down. What he's doing is he's saying, the ones who hear the word of God and keep it, those people are blessed even more than my mother is for being my mother. Understand that? You know how greatly... Mary was blessed for being the mother, yet Jesus says those who hear and do the words of Christ are blessed even more so than Mary is for being my mother. You, you see a theme developing here, the parable of the sower, Jesus' response to his, his mother and brothers in Luke 8. Here in Luke 11, he's emphasizing the fact that to actually believe and practice what Jesus says is an even greater blessing than to be Jesus' mother. That's a high honor. I want to do here a little bit of a comparison contrast. Think with me to John chapter 4. Jesus talks to a lady. We call her the woman at the well. Now, the woman at the well was not a woman known for her character, known for her morality. In fact, Jesus tells her, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not even your husband. I guess we could call that that she was a multiple adulteress, right? Multiple times. Yet, when that woman at the well hears the words that Jesus speaks to her, she believes them, and she proves that she believes them by going back into the town and does the word of God, as it were, by telling others, come meet Jesus, she proves her belief in Christ by saying, come back and see this man that told me everything I ever did. You've got to see this man. She's proving her belief in Christ by bringing others to Jesus. Now take that little story there and think back to what Jesus just said in Luke 11. This woman at the well, a multiple adulteress, according to Jesus, is even more blessed than she would have been had she been Jesus' mother. Why? Because she heard and did the word of God. When I first thought of that, it blew my mind in a way. I was like, a woman with that type of past, Jesus is saying is more blessed because now she's a follower of me. She's heard, believed, and now actually practiced the word of God in her life by drawing other people to Christ. You think, well, where's Mary fit in this? Well, think about it. Mary's highest honor, too. Mary's highest honor was not that she was Jesus' mother. Her highest honor was that she heard and did what Jesus taught. 
And that is not Christ devaluing his mother. What Christ is doing is he's valuing all who hear and do his word. And once again, what an encouragement to me, to you, to us. That those who hear and do the word, we can be those people. Jesus looks around and he says, these ones, these disciples, all the ones around me that hear and do my word, they are even more blessed. Well, that can be us too. The ones who hear and do his word. Before we leave Jesus' actual family, I want to return to Luke chapter 8 and, and connect a couple dots here. Because in Luke 8, remember, Jesus' Jesus's mother and his brethren, they're standing on the outside. They're kind of looking in from a distance, trying to figure out what's going on. They want to come see Jesus, but they can't get to him because the crowd is so great. Well, Matthew 13 tells us that Jesus' brothers were four men by the names of Joseph, Simon, Judas, and James. It says in verse 56 of Matthew 13 that Jesus also had sisters. These are the half-siblings born to Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born. Remember, Jesus is not conceived by, by uh, Joseph or through Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. So what we would call a half-brother or half-sister. These are the, the, the children of Mary and Joseph. But John chapter 7, verses 3, 4, and 5 tell us that at this point in time, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. In fact, if you go back and look at John 7, they may have even been scoffers at this time. Not just neutral, but a little bit ridiculing Christ. Scoffing at what he was doing. It's just our brother. As brothers, we do that all the time, don't we? Oh yeah, just a brother. Never mind. No big deal. They're scoffers of him. They did not actually believe in Jesus according to Acts 1.14 until after Jesus raised from the dead. Until after Jesus' resurrection in Acts 1.14, it shows us that Jesus, Jesus' brothers and Mary and all the apostles were together at that point. So at that point, they had come to faith in Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 15.7, the apostle Paul mentions that James specifically, or excuse me, that Jesus made a post-resurrection appearance to his brother James. In verses 15, 1 Corinthians 15.7, he mentions all these different people he's seen by 500, and specifically to James, Jesus' brother. So James, at that point, believes in Christ. He later becomes an, an early church leader. If you read through Acts, Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council, James is there as the leader of the early church. He's also the author of the book of James. Jesus' half-brother, who for a time did not believe in him and maybe even scoffed at Jesus, ends up writing a book contained in our New Testament. But in Luke 8, where's James? He's on the outside looking in, maybe even scoffing at Jesus. Remember they said, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are out there. They want to see you. James is probably in that group. He's probably eavesdropping on what Jesus is saying about hearing and doing the word, though at that point he doesn't really believe. Jump in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. I want to connect these dots here. James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22, the apostle at this point, the apostle James, a half-brother of Jesus, 
writes this. See if you can't somehow pick up on some similarities here. I don't know if it'll be too obvious or not. Verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, where in the world did James get that idea? Where would he have heard a phrase like that before? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. You know where he got it? He got it from his brother. In the exchanges in Luke 8, where James is kind of on the outside looking in, and he hears Jesus say, Blessed are these who hear and keep the word. And then in Luke 11, where he says, Even more blessed than my mom are those who hear and do the word. And then James, many years later, he comes and he writes, and he says, Folks, listen, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James comes and writes, well, even before James was a believer in Christ, he had heard Jesus say that hearing and doing the word is a true mark of being in the family of God. And now James comes years later, and that's exactly what he writes. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I want to finish our, our thoughts about this topic here with what James wrote. In James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. He says, Be a doer of the word, and not a hearer only, deceiving your own selves. What does it mean to just be a hearer? He says, you need to be a hearer, yes, but he says, don't be a hearer only. So what does it mean to be just a hearer? I'm sure we've all been students at one time or another, and when, you, when you're a student, you, you take a class and you do it for credit. You want that mark at the end of the, end of the class. You want that credit. You want it to attach to your GPA. And the teacher will teach you, but then to make sure you know what he's teaching you, he will give you what? Tests? assignments, papers to write, and you have to do those things to prove that you've heard the instruction, you've, to prove that you've learned what you're supposed to learn. We've all been there. We understand that. Now, sometimes you can not be a student in a class, but sometimes you can audit a class. Have you ever done that? When you audit a class, you listen to the lectures, you hear the instruction, but guess what? You're not held accountable for the material. You don't take the tests. You don't write the papers, you don't do the assignments, you sit in the back and you just listen. That's what James means when he says, don't be the person who hears it and may even know it, but they don't do anything with the information. That's what an only hearer is. They hear it and they may even know it very, very well, but they do nothing with the information that they've been given. In verse 25 in James 1, James calls this type of person, he calls him the forgetful hearer. In the same verse, verse 25, the contrast to the forgetful hearer is the one James calls the doer of the work. So we've got the forgetful hearer, and we've got the doer of the work. So we have to ask that question now. What does it mean to be a doer of the work? Being a doer of the work. Well, when these three little words, be ye doers, in verse 22 are translated, it translates the Greek word ginomai. And ginomai does not imply doing something once, but it implies doing it continually. In the New American Standard Version of the Bible, it's, it's helpful because it translate this, translates this verse as prove yourselves to be doers. It gives us another perspective on that. Prove yourselves to be doers. 
do you prove you can do something by doing it once? Maybe you just got lucky by doing it once, right? You prove you can do something. You, can, you prove to be a doer of the word when you do it repeatedly. So much so that it just becomes a natural and normal part of my life. Being a doer, of, applying what Jesus says is just a natural, normal part of my life. That person is a doer. And that's the type of person Jesus was referring to back in Luke 8 and Luke 11. That continual, repetitive obedience. He says, these people are blessed. These people are my true family. Now, there's another phrase here at the end of verse 22, and we can't miss it. Because oftentimes we remember that little phrase, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Right? Well, well, that'll be caught in our mind, and we'll remember that. Don't miss the rest of that verse. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now, notice we deceive. Who's doing the deceiving? We're deceiving ourselves. This isn't Satan. This is us deceiving us. And it may be, honestly, one of the greatest deceptions in the church today. You say, well, what is the deception? I don't, I don't understand. What is he saying? How are we deceived here? Note this, we deceive ourselves when we think that only hearing the word without doing it or applying it to our lives is sufficient for a healthy relationship with Christ. I'm going to say that again. We deceive ourselves. This is the deception. We deceive ourselves when we think that only hearing the word without doing it or applying it to our lives is sufficient for a healthy relationship with Christ. That's the deception. And I think it ties back to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8. If you look back there real quick, Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Some verses we, we read through quickly. Great phrase to start it. Luke 8, 18, Jesus says, Take heed, therefore, how you hear. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. Now, now follow me here. James says that the deception is, if you think you have it because you've heard it, you deceive yourself. Understand that? If you think you have it because you've heard it, you deceive yourself. Jesus says in Luke 8, 18, he says, if a person thinks they have what they really don't have, even what they think they have will be taken from them, and they'll be left with absolutely nothing. I know that sounded kind of like a riddle or something, but he, Jesus is basically saying, if, if a person thinks they have what they really don't have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. And James says, be careful that you don't think you have it because you've heard it. How do you prove you have it? Not by hearing it, but by doing it. In James 1.22, the, the word translated deceiving there, deceiving your own selves, the word translated deceiving is the Greek word paralegizomai. And it means to cheat or deceive by false reasoning. Now, we've all done this to somebody else. I remember doing it to my younger brothers. I would have two $1 bills. They would have a $10 bill. And I would say, I will give you these two bills for your one bill. Good deal for you, right? 
It was a great deal for me, but it was what? It was false reasoning. Two is better than one, even though it's $10 bill and two $1 bills. Well, James says here, the false reasoning. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What is the deception? What is the false reasoning? As that Greek word tells us, what is the false reasoning? Here it is. This is what James is referring to. The false reasoning is this. I heard it. I'm good. I heard it, preacher. I'm good. Good message, pastor. I'm good. That's the deception. That's the false reasoning, and we all fall prey to that. I heard it. I was there Sunday. Yeah, good message. I heard it. Didn't do anything with it, but I heard it. It was good. We live in a Christian culture that is inundated with hearing. Think about it. You can sit under your preacher every Sunday. You can watch your favorite YouTube preacher. Be careful, because some of them are kooky. Listen to, you can listen to the best podcasts. You can watch Christian TV shows. You can read all the books you want. You can hear, 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 hear all day if you want to. We are inundated with hearing, but I think we are inept at doing. Yet, it is the doing of the word that proves the believing of the word. It is the doing of the word of God that, that proves that you actually believe it. Think about it. Can you prove you believe it until you actually do it? Can you prove you believe it until you actually do it? Take a parachute, for example. You can watch all the videos you want to about a parachute. You can read books about a parachute. You can follow your favorite parachutist on Instagram if you want to. You can go to the parachute store and try them on to find the one that matches your eye color. But when do you actually believe, when do you actually prove you believe in a parachute? When you strap it on and what? And jump. Up to that point, I have no proof that you actually believe in a parachute. Though you know everything there is to know about it, the same is true for us. And that's what James and Jesus are telling us. The same is true. When do we prove we believe the word? When we strap it on and we live by it. When we actively and repetitively do what it says. Parents, I know you know this to be true. Because do we commend our children for hearing our instruction? Our three-year-old Gideon. Oh, Gideon, I, I've, never, I've never said this. Gideon, I'm so glad that you heard me tell you to clean your room. I am so proud of you. Let's get ice cream. You heard what I was telling you. Thank you. I never said that in my life. Why? Because as parents, we do not commend our children until what they hear becomes what they do. That's when we know they heard it. That's when we know they've applied it to their life. The same is true for us. And that's what James is saying. You cannot prove you know it. You cannot prove you've heard it until it actually becomes part of your life. Now, James closes his instruction here regarding this with really a vivid illustration in verses 23 to 25. He says this, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. What's he saying? James is saying the person who looks into the mirror, sees what needs to be done, and walks away without doing anything about it, 
is no better off for having looked in the mirror. Though he's deceived himself into thinking, he is better off. Well, then verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Here's the contrast. The person who looks in the mirror and continues or abides by, he perseveres in what he sees in the mirror. What the mirror tells me I need to do. The mirror has showed me what needs to be done. I continue in that. He says, this person is not a forgetful hearer, but it says this person is a doer of the work, and he is blessed in what they do. Remember Jesus? He said what? Even more blessed than my mother are the ones who hear and do what I tell them. Now, it sounds a little bit different. It sounds a little awkward for me to say this, but the application of this message is application. Understand that? The application of this message, what you should take away from this message is that I need to apply it. It's application. Just think about it. Thomas Edison, we talked about him earlier, would never have invented anything if he was only satisfied with hearing and knowing. I heard it. I know it. He would have nothing to show for his life. Information without application is pointless. Information or knowledge without application is useless. In your own life, every time the word is opened, every time it's preached, every time it's communicated, when you hear the word of God, what is your action step motivated by the Holy Spirit? As the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, you say, that's true. I heard that. What do I need to do because of what I've heard? What do I need to adjust? What do I need to do differently because of what I've heard? Now, if we were in children's church and we were, we were closing out this message, we, we'd probably sing the little old, old chorus, the wise man and the foolish man. Remember that one? The wise man built his house upon the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. Rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went splat. That was the favorite part, right? Because as young kids, we love destruction, right? It went splat. Think with me. For the man who built on the rock, what was it that made his foundation solid? For the man who built on the sand, what was it that made his foundation shaky? This was our scripture reading earlier. If you remember Matthew 7, there's only one difference between these two people. One it says was wise, he built on rock. One it says was foolish, he built on sand. There was only one difference between them. In Matthew 7, 24, it says that the reason the wise man is wise and his house stands firm is because he heard the word of Christ and he did it. Two verses later, Matthew 7, 26, says that the reason the foolish man was foolish and his house went splat is because he also heard the words of Christ. Oh, okay, well, good for him, he heard the word, but it says he did not do it. That's the difference. The difference is in the doing of the word, motivated by the Holy Spirit. 
Folks, only hearing the word is not a sufficient foundation for life and godliness. We must have active and repetitive obedience to the word. We sang the song earlier. It said, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Note this. Jesus said it. Take heed how you hear. And take heed that you don't only hear. Take heed how you hear, and take heed that you don't only hear. Would you pray with me?